This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Wayne June. I'm Mirko. Nice to have you guys. Thank you. We're going to be talking about The House on the Borderland by William Hope Hodgson, a recent audiobook that uh, Wayne has narrated, and uh, wow, I, I'm really impressed by this book. Wayne, I, I asked you how it was after you finished narrating, and you really undersold it. Um, I, I can't say it's like, uh, you know, the greatest novel ever, but it's certainly really shockingly interesting. It, it is so Lovecraftian and, and supernaturally interesting. It's, it, it has so many mysteries in it. Yeah, I, um, my impression of it was, um, well, my expectations of it, when I heard that H.P. Uh, Lovecraft counts it as one of his influences, I, I expected something, I don't know, that struck me as dramatically as Lovecraft does. And to me, it, it didn't, uh, I mean, it's it's valuable in and of itself. It uh, it stands on its own, but it's not as focused and concise as Lovecraft is, I don't think. It, all the all the problems in it that at least you can see it from a Lovecraftian perspective, I think Lovecraft addresses when he sort of takes little gems out of this and puts it in his own work. Definitely, um, and I think I think that that's what made it so Lovecraftian to me. You can really see that he read this book and said, "Holy crap, this is awesome!" Let me let me read you. Maybe Wayne should read it, but I'll read it. Description from Lovecraft's essay of this book. So, the House on the Borderland, nineteen oh eight perhaps the greatest of all Hodge's works, tells of a lonely, evilly regarded house in Ireland which forms a focus for hideous otherworldly forces and sustains a siege by blasphemous hybrid anomalies from a hidden abyss below. The wanderings of the narrator's spirit through the limitless light years of cosmic space and Kalpas of eternity... I'm not sure what that means. And in, <laughs> its witnessing of the solar system's final destructions constitutes something almost unique in standard literature. And everywhere there is the manifest, everywhere there is manifest the author's power to suggest vague, ambushed horrors in natural scenery. Here's where the quote comes. But for a few touches of the commonplace sentimentality, this book would be a classic of the first water. And I noticed that when people quote, quote this on the front, they don't say it would be a classic. They just say a classic of the first water, right? <laughs> yeah, because yeah. Um, I agree with the implication there that, uh, that, that H.P. Lovecraft made, which is it's a classic possibly of the, the second water, maybe, yeah, or, the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, the, or the third water. Uh, it, it has had, I think, a lot of influences other than than just H.P. Lovecraft too. Oh, I sure. mean, for example, it's it's got a lot of uh, of, of common sort of uh, themes or tropes. Uh, it starts off with that sort of intro that I love uh, that I that love point that of view. In, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's 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 like a it's a point of view that that uh, that introduces a story. And, um, and, and kind of like Algernon Blackwood's the the Willows. You've got two protagonists. Uh, going on a country adventure, um, and then things go wrong for them. Well, in this, they go on a country adventure, and they say, oh, that's strange, and then they read a book. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. It, it, I didn't want to, to make it sound like it, it like I undersold it, as you said. Because oh, you I, totally I, I, undersold I, it to me. Cause yeah. it's, uh, I was thinking, uh-oh, it's not going to be good, and oh, my God, it, it was it was really fun. I, I think this is a really interesting book. It It... If if it was like ten times longer, I'd be going like, "Is this guy ever going to get out of that chair?" <laughs> but because it's you know it's like five hours, it's it's uh, there's a lot of stuff where he's just describing sense experience. Yeah. But there's a story being told there. I'm not sure what the story is, but it's amazing. Well, it's really yeah. one of the typical uh, Lovecraft type of, uh, of of frameworks where it's. It's cosmic horror. Once again, it's the, the best you can expect from the universe is indifference. You know, uh, just the, the cosmic horror story. It also ends up with, you know, the end of the world type of uh, thing or the, or the end of the universe. And it's kind of a future history. Are you familiar with an author from, I think, I think he was published in the 30s, Olaf Stapledon? Yeah, yeah. 
I, I've yep. not read his book, but I, I hear that, that it's <clears throat> kind of similar. Very similar. I, I would lay money on it that, that this was an, an influence on, on Stapleton. His, his biggest uh, novel was called The Star... Something Star Maker, I think. Star Maker, yes. And uh, he also had Last and First Men. Right, and, I think and, that's the one that's probably the, the closest. Yeah, and it was really a, a lot like, the, particularly the, the, the last one-third of this, which is the, uh, you know, wandering about in the universe. Marco, what was this? You've read this twice now, uh, is that right? Yes, I did. Okay, so what this was your right. take on it the first time you read it? Uh, my first time was it was a very hard time reading it. I used the translation German one, mm-hmm. and uh, I just had this uh, this feeling that um, in the last third, when he describes the end of the universe in the H.G. Wells type of way, mm-hmm. you know, the changing of the uh, sun rising and moon rising and stuff. I had the feeling that I was, like Chad Pfeiffer said about Lovecraft, that you sometimes got the feeling that you are reading two pages and not actually reading two pages. Right. Um, but this was, yeah, um, this was my first impression when I read the translation. Then I read my, um, it in English mm-hmm. on the Kindle and simultaneously listening to, to Wayne and some things came came clear become clear and this was this was great to to read it and to listen to it at the same time so i could better concentrate and with knowing what what is happening um the story just developed more went more deeper and more more greater actually you know that's that's the the concept of the read along and the first idea is that you've yes. got the text you've got the audio you read along. In most cases, I don't do that. Um, but there's there's sometimes you, you're looking at a sentence and you're hearing it interpreted, and they're slightly different. But um, it, it can help. I, I found myself only at the very beginning, the very earliest part of the story. I, I was like, oh, I didn't get that. I'll be fine. And I, I listened to it again. No, didn't get it. But after about four or five minutes in, I was like, holy crap, this is uh, engaging. Yeah, I'm totally engaged. Uh, I, I want to know these these two guys that have gone off a uh, country tour in uh, in Ireland. Uh, th- that totally sounds like dozens of other stories that I've read. But mm-hmm. um, you know the the section. You, you know, Marco, you mentioned un, uh, you mentioned the um, the connection to H. G. Wells. I think that that might be very prominent as well because there is a H. G. Wells story called Under the Knife. I posted about it not too long ago. And that's an interesting story because it's about a guy who goes in for surgery and ends up like taking an astral, an astral projection trip across the universe. Wow. And I was like, wow, that's a weird <laughs> for H.G. Wells to, you know, he just wrote everything, I guess. Because it's not really science fiction, it, except in the sense that it's cosmic, right? It's yep. about the yep. universe itself. and. You know, I I don't think you can classify this as a science fiction story, uh, the House on the Borderland. Um, uh, but that said, I think if you did, uh, you have to start questioning the unnamed narrator's sanity. <laughs> Saying, yeah, I was I was conflicted about that at first too because when all the weird things are happening with those uh, pig people, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, his sister in a couple of instances, she, she knows just, he's fucking nuts. Yeah, she doesn't seem to have the same experiences that he has. You know, she's uh, doesn't seem to be seeing the pig guys. So I was wondering, okay, now wait a minute, is this one yeah, of those? I was thinking he was the pig guys. Or they were delusional or something. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, yeah. The, the, yeah, yeah. as the time went on, though, it does it does seem that uh, what he's trying to say is that actually it was an experience. But although he doesn't come out and say it, so no. it, it can it can leave you with either interpretation being correct. Yeah, I. That's that's part of the uh, the fun is 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 trying to figure out what's going on and you know some com- coming to some sort of conclusions. I mean the. The evidence in favor of him being nuts is pretty much overwhelming, except for the dog, right? The dog, the boy, dead. the boy and his dog, <laughs> uh, or the, the country gentleman. What, what is he doing there with his sister in in that old house? Uh, what's his job? What's, 
he's like just lives there. Right? You know, it's just like uh, I guess that's what people did back then. You're just a rich guy. What do you do? Uh, putter about the place, read old books. <laughs> that's what I want to be when I grow up. So. <laughs> yeah, and after after uh, defending the swine things, you retire. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You retire for the evening. And you go to bed. That's what he always does. <laughs> he goes to bed. Every yeah, there's a lot of going people. to bed in this in this book. Yeah. I like that. He spends a lot of time lying in bed and then saying, oh, my God, is it 12 o'clock already? Oh, wait, it's been all day. That's one reason I really like that guy. I really yeah, like yeah. the, the a, character. He's a very likable character. We could really relate to him. But um, <laughs> You know what I noticed, too? I uh, saw a quote that um, Arthur C. Clarke oh. cons- considered that Olaf Stapleton material to be, uh, what did he say, one of the finest works of science fiction ever written. And if, as I maintain, uh, Stapleton was, is, owes the, the sort of theme or the feeling to this story, you know, it's just an, another point that, that marks its importance, I think, in history. Uh, you, I've, I've seen it described as uh, it marks the transition from the typical gothic horror story of the time. Uh, it, it's the first time there was like a cosmic horror type of uh, of concept and you know and that's pretty remarkable there's a, some hg wellsian imagery and ideas but this is the first time it really focused specifically on that i found that the the ending of it with uh, the whole trip through the universe that whole psychedelic thing it, it kind of reminded me and speaking of arthur c clark of the movie sequence in 2001 in the i end. i i think that 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 is uh, Probably exactly right. I mean, I, for the longest time, since 2001 is a great movie, except for the fucking boring ending that Mick goes on and on forever <laughs> and doesn't give you any fucking result. And then he comes back, and what happens? He's like, he's in, he's in bed. <laughs> yep, it, yep. It, you know, I think Arthur C. Clarke must <laughs> yeah, he, have been he, uh, in bed too. channeling this. <laughs> but I, I wonder if he got that from Stapleton, who got it from from this, you know? I don't know. Could be. I, I I love the setting in this this the the house is very iconic. I, if you see paintings, covers of the book, you know it's they pretty much all depict the house. Now the the cover that we've got on your art uh, for your audiobook is not uh, exactly true to the art in the book. I would say I, I would say the image in the book is you know it's very obviously sort of m- more like it's this house that's almost falling off a cliff, right? Uh-huh. And in the in the the cover art for the audiobook, it's just a house in the distance. But I think everything else about that cover is really good. You've got a guy sort of floating across uh, a barren landscape. There's all sorts of ghostly images in the foreground and a massive sun that doesn't look right in the sky. Yeah, I have I have to uh give you my thanks for that uh it, you you're the one who designed that cover so i uh, i'm basically just using the beautiful art that already existed and adding some font but uh i like to be able to say picking out stuff is is my skill <laughs> <laughs> um you know if you look at the other other ones and including the comic uh cover it it i think matches the 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 image in my head of what what is going on when these two guys uh, stumble through the, you know, the Irish countryside into a, uh, you know, the typical town that can't be found. That's a very Lovecraftian, yep. thing, you know, yep. you've got some, some terrain that is unmapped and uh, it's there, but nobody talks about it. Nobody goes there. And um, I thought maybe the fact that the the river disappears into the earth might be one of the reasons nobody goes there is you know they they don't follow the river up in any way it just goes from a mountain and disappears. Mm-hmm. Part of it yep. there's no train, uh, but I I just love the uh, the you know they're hunting and fishing the local people are nice and um, and then oh what's this oh that's a weird looking place let's go look around. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's kind of um, cool the way it, the the whole thing develops. It starts out with that very bucolic setting, and mm-hmm. uh, come, you come upon the, your introduction to this mysterious house, and you think it's going to be like a haunted house story. And it is, and if you think about it, it yes. this is a haunted house story, but it's not. 
by the end of it, it's 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 seemingly something else entirely. You know, uh, uh, one thing that struck me in in the end portions of it was uh, it was published. The book was published, I think, in 1909. I, uh, yeah, 1908 yes. is what my my Wikipedia says. Mm-hmm. One of the things that that struck me in it was uh, there was a section in in his universal wandering uh, trip there where time compresses, seems seems to compress. Mm -hmm. And I kind of did my homework and looked it up, and Einstein's theory of relativity that had the first really scientific instance of a theory where time is relative and can compress or, you know, be, be different depending on your your point in time or in space that was 1905 so he oh. was using current scientific ideas well i think it, the, that whole sequence is it, it is about like you said the cosmic horror not so much as in monsters as in as in the fact that we're alone in a universe that is going to kill us uh, after a period of time and we'll be forgotten and mm. everything will turn to dust i mean the 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 pathos involved with that poor dog Pepper, oh I I was like oh terrible no Pepper's got to be alive no violet <laughs> dust fucking violet dust oh yeah so it's all about it's all about the universe that doesn't care yeah just like in Lovecraft but you get a very interesting connection here um, you said that he uses uh, scientific uh, science of his days right. Mm-hmm. And um, I did a little research, and I'm very, very grateful for the forewords, uh, the introduction of the German edition by Brian Stettelford. You know him? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, he's an and, anthologist uh, amongst right. also being an author. Right, right. And he, he drops a name, and this name was Camille Flammarion, a French, uh, French astronomer. Hmm. You, you heard about him? No. Um this is very this is very interesting because um, there is a chain <laughs> there's some connection. Flammarion was a very very uh, strong influence on Hodgson's other novel, The Nightland. Oh, I haven't read that uh, one. And, yeah, and the descriptions he gives from Apocalypses and and uh, something like that is very close to what Hodgson uses in The Nightland, and. To uh, say something about Camille Silmarillon, he left, lived from 1842 to 1925, a French astronomer, and you can look it up in the Wikipedia entry, but he was very, very popular in his time. He wrote over 50, uh, 50 scientific books, most of them uh, popular scientific stuff, and his um, his book about astronomy, L'Astronomie Populaire, was sold over a hundred thousand times. And this big deal, I guess, mm-hmm. in, uh, back in his time, well, it was published in like, 1879. Sounds like Hodgson probably would have read yes, it. Yes, I'm sure that he, that, he did, that, that he read it. And there's another interesting connection from Flammarion, who obviously was read by, by Hodgson. We can uh, see a direct line to Edgar Rice Burroughs. Hmm. Edgar Rice Burroughs um, seems to be influenced by Camille Flammarion as well, and Flammarion is associated to another astronomer to whom Edgar Rice Burroughs is <laughs> associated, and this is Percival Lowell. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure if I pronounce it. Percival Lowell, yeah. 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 And uh, Flammarion and Lowell were exchanging theories about Mars. And now another person comes into the game. It is H.P. Lovecraft who met Percival Lowell in person in oh, 1907. Oh, no. so, I didn't know that. Yeah, this was, was, was great to, to dig this stuff up because I think um, we were talking about H.P. Lovecraft and the influence of Hodgson um, about, on Lovecraft. According to S.T. Joshi, Lovecraft did not read uh, William Hope Hodgson before 1934. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So it's an I, indirect connection. It is. Yes, yes. And and I was wondering uh, in this um essay the supernatural horror literature. Yeah. A, a bit, sorry? No, that it's parallel development, right? They they take yeah. the same source material and they say, "I know what I'm going to do with this." And they yeah, just kind yeah, of yeah. come up with the same sort of thing. 
the, the quote that he gave um, from Lovecraft, Jesse, mm-hmm. was in the revised edition of the supernatural yeah, horror and literature. I think so. Let's see. Uh, from 1934. maybe. Yeah, so the, there's a 1927 and a 1935 and a 1933, right. Right. 1933 version. So. so we can say that there is no influence uh, before 1934, which I found was very, very interesting. Because yeah. uh, we, we could ask how it comes it that they use similar uh, descriptions or, or the, the, the concept of cosmic horror. And probably... It's cosmic um, horror time. <laughs> it's, it's cosmic horror time. Engine time. Yeah. It's cosmic horror time. Right. Who, who knows? But according to another Lovecraft scholar, his name is uh, T.R. Levesi. Levesi, Lovecraft, Lovecraft owns about 80 books about astronomy from the mid-19th century. And probably there is Camille Flammarion, the text that, that, that Hodgson used, um, might be under this books. We don't know. But I, I know from the catalog of Lovecraft's private library that he at least owned one copy of a uh, Camille Flammarion book about haunted places and haunted houses. So there might be a, a, a together source that they used. And that could be Flammarion. So, if you look at the Wikipedia entry um, from about Camille Flammarion, you'll find a great quote from his work, The End of the World, where he says, In the future, when the end of things will arrive on this earth, the event will then pass completely unperceived in the universe. The stars will continue to shine after the extinction of our sun, and they already shone before our existence, and so on. So, here we see that um, the cosmic horror, the concept of cosmic horror that I always thought uh, was love, some kind of Lovecraft invention, probably was there. He is the exponent of it, right? He is the guy yes, who, yes, yes. who says, hey, look at this. This is <clears throat> results when when uh, we we take God out of the equations for all, you know, he didn't just put the, uh, create the earth and put it, put it in orbit around the sun. He didn't right. do this and he didn't do this and there's nobody out there caring for us. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting too. I, I tend to agree. I think, you know, in as much as uh, art always seems to imitate life, a, a lot of the ideas, they could be pointed up in the contrast between how people actually looked at the world you know, through the Enlightenment, a very optimistic. Things are getting better and better and better. Uh, but philosophically, as religion, I think, tended to uh, start to take more of a back seat and empirical science became more of what was considered trustworthy, that had implications. And the implications are that if we are alone in the universe, holy cow, that's not good news. <laughs> no, it, <laughs> you know? it's 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 uh, kind of a horror in in the same way that you know you're no longer uh, under your mom's protection. You have to pay your own bills and you have to <laughs> you have to tie your own shoes. Oh my God, no! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But uh, in this instance, it's like you have to tie your own shoes for eternity. Exactly. You know, uh... <laughs> and and then there's no uh, you know there's no promise of. Of anything else, I I think that this you know we can trace it back to Poe and I mean even the Raven, the sequence in here with the you know our unnamed protagonist's lover, the one the former sweetheart mm-hmm. who's dead, um, that was you know uh, I, I I was thinking at that point oh this is uh, this is that same house where that Raven was outside not that long ago right <laughs> now oh, there's pigs outside but uh, he's <laughs> his, his sisters come in to help him because he's uh, he, you know, he's not doing that well. <laughs> he's kind of losing his mind and yeah. thinks he's barring the door maybe to prevent ravens from coming in or whatever. He's got the dog, <laughs> though. He can rely on the dog. Yeah, um, until it turns to dust. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, and then when he comes back yeah. from his trip, right, he's got that. He gets the replacement dog, but it doesn't get a name. And it doesn't. it's not allowed in the house because... He needs a dog to help him, but he also can't love it because it, you know you, your wife dies, your your girl dies, your 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 view of reality dies, <laughs> and your dog dies. Well, yeah. you can't love anything in this universe because it'll just <laughs> die on you. Yeah. This even the Earth itself is going to die. The house will still be around. <laughs> the Earth is going to die. 
Um, yeah, there was some really weird imagery throughout that whole section, too. I mean, um, did you have any feel for what kind of point he was trying to make or what symbolism was there or what he was saying when he was talking about this uh, arena where there was a dupli- giant duplicate of the house, but it was made of jade? Yeah. You know, it was just like, wow. That's, that's you know? on the cover of, of, of the book, that you, the audiobook you've got. It, there's this house in the distance. The uh, arena is uh, from the, it's not Latin, but the, who is before the Latins? Whoever is before the Latins in Rome. Those guys. It's a word meaning sand, and that's what we're seeing. So it's like the, the sandy pit, right? Um, mm-hmm. and okay. So I, I don't really know what to make about that. I, I think that it's you know some parallel world, um, but I don't know what to make about it. No, what, what did you think about it? I, I I was completely puzzled by that particular part of it. I didn't. I mean, that'll be fodder for for a second or a third Absolutely. read. I think. Well, uh, Wayne's only you've read it the one time for the audio book. I've read it for the one time for the audio book. Mirko, you've read it twice. You have to tell us yeah. what the uh, arena, the jade <laughs> I, building means. The jade echo. I, I the jade echo. I I just don't know. Because this was this was a puzzling, really puzzling thing about it, and they're all pair these gods and mythology creatures, right? Yeah. From from different uh, different parts of the world. Right, including uh, what was the the one that Lovecraft mentioned? What was that? It was the word I stumbled over, and I was I was really what's that? What's that mean? There's a it's Kalas. What did he say? Kalpas. Uh, Kalpas. What's Kalpas? Kalpas. Oh, isn't isn't that some? I think that's uh, some uh, reference Sanskrit to meaning a, eon. A, yeah, period of time. Yeah. So uh, I think if we assume the narrator's not crazy, uh, that he's really <laughs> experiencing stuff, what he's experiencing is probably something like what we see in two thousand one in the end. Right? It's a science. It's a it's a phenomenon that is only explicable by having an understanding of what the hell the universe is about. So when he goes on that cosmic journey into the future of the Earth, uh, it's I think the in the one of the footnotes it says uh, there was be no atmosphere. How could this guy hear anything? So obviously he's not actually hearing anything. And his body, uh, you know, in that scene where he looks down and he sees his own dead body, um, we're seeing something weird. I mean, this is not. Yeah. Uh, who knows what's going on? So uh, <laughs> there's an echo. This house is on the borderland. That's what the title is, right? Yep. The house on the borderland. The borderland between our reality and another reality, which is maybe the reality that Cosmic Core is trying to get you to. So, mm-hmm. hey, I've got, a, I've got the answer, okay? You ready? <laughs> it's meta. <laughs> uh, before this book, we're living in a world that is uh, run by God. And after this book, we're living in our world, the, the post-industrial, post-God, uh, post-science um, world in which all things have rational explanations. And yeah, I think that's that's some, somewhat of what they were talking about when, uh, when when people have analyzed it as being the the turning point between the Gothic horror story, which typically uh was full of you know ghosts and people from the afterlife uh you know uh, mediums and spirits uh going from that to uh you know no it, it it's it, it's not the, that view of of reality anymore now it's the new uh scientific view where there are no simple answers and you see what i'm saying it's yeah it's yeah. like it's it's that's our education into what reality is really like that he's he's trying to allow us to understand in in that cosmic journey that really cannot take place right it's the same kind of cosmic journey when i try and tell a young kid you know uh you think uh 10 years ago was a long time let me tell you about deep time you know the, the continents used to all be connected to each other and they're they're moving at this very moment but it takes eons for them to move how do you or, ex- or kalpas 
Kalpas, uh, many Kalpas for them to move, <laughs> and uh, many yeah. generations of whole species to flourish and then fall into dust. You know, that telling that story is kind of like, I think, you know, it's a metaphorical thing is what, what's happening to him. He's transforming, right? The, the way it's dis- described uh, on the Wikipedia entry, I think, is pretty good. It says, uh, he's called the recluse, right? We don't, never get his name. He says, the author of the manuscript, an unknown man who owns the house on the borderland. His native narrative is based on the novel. Oh, his narrative is the basis of the novel. He's middle-aged, studious, uh, and he sought the house as a place he could live out his days in quiet and solid. Why do you want quiet? Had become shaken by his experiences. He is cared for by his elderly spinster sister. The, the, the thing is, is he, it says he's, ra- he's rational. He seems a very reasonable guy until, you know, he starts climbing into that garret and shooting at things that don't exist out there and start talking about the pigmen. The sister's like, uh, i got to unbar this door for a minute. I'll, I'll, I'll step outside. Uh, there's something going on. I was thinking they were the villagers. I was thinking that it's like some neighboring kid, you know, not neighboring kids, somebody coming up the road, and he looks out, and he sees enemies, horrible, hideous creatures. What are those horrible, hideous creatures? They're people. And so when he looks in that mirror, uh, sorry, not the mirror, it's it's a window. He looks out the window, right? And the description is a human bipedal creature with a repellent head, and a face of a huge swine, a malign appearance and intent. It glows with a shimmering phosphorescence. The creature briefly appears during the recluse's visit to the other house. Um, and I-, I was thinking, well, he's looking at it out the window. It's outside the window. That's his reflection. He's seeing himself. Hmm. And he sees himself hmm. as one of these horrible, but disgusting swine right, that run about the earth. No, that's people. That's why he's a recluse. That's why... He's hiding away. Interesting. I mean, I think that's supposed to be. I think he's supposed to. I think the author Hodgson put that in there, and then when he gives us this other stuff, uh, you know, the dimensional trip, you say, okay, well, I'm not sure what's what's going on in that pit. I mean, the house is there, and the, the part of it's been destroyed. How, he didn't destroy that. How did they get that yep. way? There's something, yeah, there's something and, and going why? on here. Yes, why, why is this arena surrounded by, by mythological creatures? It's interesting. Or gods. Yeah, that's, that's cool. And the question is, he, um, this, this whole story starts with his first voyage to the arena, right? Mm-hmm. But why? <laughs> He's just sitting there reading, and there seems to be no reason for his trip. Just a thought comes. Maybe it's in the book. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's reading a book called The House on the Borderland. There you go. Perhaps he's reading, he's reading the Necronomicon and then goes mad. Yeah. <laughs> but he goes to the arena, to the arena, sees this house in the middle and this giant swine thing trying to get in, surrounded by, by gods, by mythological stuff. Yeah. The, this oh, yeah. must something be there. something. There must be something. It's good. Right? Uh, and then he goes back to Earth, and he gets ambushed by the swine thing, defends them, and then his, with no other reason, his cosmic trip begins. Yeah? And he seems to have this, um, this, this vision, this rather scientific vision, and then he goes back to the arena, back to the, uh, back to the mythological uh, beings, and then back to yeah. Earth. Yeah, he's, he's, so he's switching back and forth between the... Yeah. The two incommensurate uh, realities, you know, the one where uh, things are driven by spiritual forces, uh, ultimately, and one where they're driven by nothing, maybe, or yeah, who I'm knows. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm a spitball on here, but uh, <laughs> let me read the description of the house. Uh, on the Wikipedia entry, it has a, a description of all the all the characters. There's Mr. Mrs. Tennyson and Ber- Beregnog. Which I'm, I'm glad Wayne got to pronounce, and not me, because that was that's a tough. Well, one. I, I saw eggnog in there, and I figured no nah, eggnog. Yeah, you got to be careful. You gotta, yeah. Um, so this uh, one of the description. It says the, the Messrs. Tonneson and Bregnog, <laughs> Beregnog, the recluse Mary, that's the sister. Pepper the dog, the unnamed woman lover, um, uh, the large swine thing, which is. According to my reading, him, 
the, the other swine things, which I think might be the villagers. And then there's the house, the old house on the interdimensional borderland in brackets. Um, and then this is the description. That gets the actual, the biggest description of all the characters listed. It says, the old house is of such central importance to the story that it assumes something of the character's persona. The narrative of the recluse informs us that the house had been had a bad reputation for 200 years prior to his ownership. So there's a backstory that is a backstory, right? Yep. This is all yep. backstory because the two guys are reading this story. And then it had a bad backstory before that. So it's not all just about him realizing uh, you know, that the universe has m- no meaning. Um, yeah, like the, this 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 house was a was a portal to some some bad news long before he got there. Exactly. There's uh, people have been having problems there before uh, before he bought it. Um, it. Some few generations before, and then it says uh, he that's why he got it at a low price too. <laughs> Little else is revealed <laughs> about its history. Uh, the villagers of Creighton. And I, I haven't looked that up, but I have a feeling that's going to have some, some meaning. Uh, 40 miles distance, located somewhere in the west of Ireland, all shunned it and believed it to be haunted. Now, I like, I like to think about that now. If you think about what haunted means, to us, we think haunted house is ghost story, right? But that's how you interpret shit that you don't know how to describe, like Arthur C. Clarke says, right? You know, yep. any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Any sufficiently freaky shit that's happening over there is indistinguishable from ghosts. Uh, I think that's what it means. Um, little else is revealed about the, the history. Oh, uh, oh, yeah, and then it says, uh, but they shunned it because it was, quote-unquote, built by the devil. Uh, <laughs> it is located a considerable distance downstream from an unnamed river near the village, and it's surrounded by a great garden. I thought that was interesting, too. Uh, the, the, the narrator liked that the gardens were there, but also he... Notice they were neglected, right? And the, yeah. the stone house appears to have been built over a vast circular chasm. And I was thinking, uh, that's arena. Uh, you know, a serena, an arena is a chasm. Is is you know, you build over a a graveyard, Indian graveyard, and that causes the problems in your uh, Steven Spielberg film. Um, yep. Yep. Uh, well, it, he's the chasm is a chasm to somewhere else, and that that's. I guess the house was built over that. Probably wasn't the wisest move. <laughs> right. um, and and then I, oh, we haven't mentioned it in our discussion, but you know he goes down in that basement, and what's down there? He opens up that oak door. It's like a a vast pit leading down into rushing water. Yep. Yep. Uh, it's like it's built over a river that goes nowhere. Yeah, and uh, that's also connected to his uh, his trip. There, his little uh, excursion in, into the pit from outside. Uh, he ends up in this underground cavern that eventually leads there and leads under the house. So uh, I'm sure that's some reference to the underworld uh, aspect of it. You know, the, uh, the house is on the borderland between, you know, what we know, our life, and, and the underworld, what we take to be, you know, mysterious and... Well... If the underworld isn't hell, I think I think that we can all agree, you know, that uh, if if it is about cosmic horror, it's not about the devil. It's not right. the devil. So where yeah, is, it seems where to is me it going his... into is the question, and it's not. It's going into the earth. What's inside the earth? It's like maybe it's um, inside yourself, right? It's consciousness. Yeah, it's like his trip when he <laughs> takes that trip. He's not going outside of his body as much as he's going into uh, a vast emptiness or something i i I give up but it's awesome it seems to me that was that uh, it seems to me that's kind that's kind of the point is that uh uh he's saying all the uh like this this house is on the borderland in actuality a portal to uh, uh another dimension or uh some some deeper experience in existence uh that Previously, we've attributed that to uh, 
mythological gods and uh, we, we, we've had our answers about, uh, oh, it's, it's, you know, the devil did this and da, da, da. But, uh, but it, what, I, what he seems to be saying is those were possibly misinterpretations of what is really going on, which we don't know what that is yet, but it's pretty scary. No hint of leprechaun. <clears throat> I, I, I really liked that, you know, this is a set in Ireland. It's super freaky. And it's, it doesn't, like, play to any of your expectations about it. It's, That's for sure. It's, That's for sure. It's, uh, it is, it's, it's very, uh, you know, I, I want to read more of these guys. Um, it's, it's like some of the Algernon Black or whatever. This is my first Hodgson of anything. So um, I, I'm hoping that there's more of this to read. because. Uh, so, Mirko, you're saying he, uh, Hodgson wrote another novel? Yes, he wrote... Um, Nightlands? Nightland. Yeah, said. I think it's Nachtland in 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 German. I I I have this novel in the translation here, and he wrote tons of stuff. He literary wrote I I don't know about fifty short stories. If you look at the Wikipedia entry, how much he wrote, um, ghost pirate stories, and most of this stuff is um, is like uh, um, maritime adventures stuff. Night and the Nightland. Yeah, Nightland, yes. From nineteen Sarah, the Saragossi Sea stories, the Ganaki stories, um, this uh, uh, supernatural detective, you know, Ganaki stories. You should look it up. Mm. There is no translation, but there seems to be uh, very popular stuff. And he started as a poet, like everybody starts like a poet. <laughs> and <laughs> and this was was they one never thing, end uh, as poets, my friend. No. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> no, Sounds good. But if they had to, <laughs> <laughs> but but if you if you say um, this, this unnamed lover that we that we uh, talked about, um, let's, is, let's is, call her Lenore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. This is what I wanted wanted to uh, wanted to say is that um, this is a very common theme in uh, Edgar Allan Poe's poetry, mm-hmm. right? This this uh, unknown lover, this uh, passed away lover, as well in his as in his life, and when Hodgson starts as a poet, he's massively influenced by um, by Edgar Allan Poe, of course. Yeah, who is and, right? Yeah, and when he describes this cosmic experience, let's say, it's very poetical, right? Yeah. He, he tries to he tries to to give a, a poetical description of a scientific event. Mm-hmm. Can we say that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, his 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 language yeah. is is very and very rich and very descriptive. Uh, yeah, I really lo- lo- loved loved your reading. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, because when I read this in German, it was very hard to get through it. Very very hard. Um, but when when I listened to you, came clear as I said in the beginning. This, well, it's, it's definitely challenging. Important. I mean, it, it was difficult for me to to relate to. Also, it's uh, it, it makes you work. I think. I, I guess, yeah. I think it'd probably be easier to to read it on the page in understanding it. But there's there's some pretty hefty sentences in here. I'm not a narrator, yep. but I, I found it pretty hefty uh, looking at just the passages that I did. Um, you know, I don't know how much time you guys have, but I, I, there are a couple other things I want to touch on before we lose our time. Um, you know, uh, I think we were all in on um, the crawling chaos, weren't we? Did we all talk about that? Um, I think I did. Mirko? Oh, I listened you, to it. Oh, you listened listen. to the podcast? Okay. Yep. Um, so the crawling chaos uh, is kind of like this story, too. Um, you've got a guy who's sent forward into the distant future, uh, has a weird trip um, with vivid descriptions of, uh, of the, uh, the land and the, the, the night and the distant, you know, the, re- the reasons why the earth is as it is. Uh, but I, 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 don't, I don't know if, you know, it's other than that just being a cosmic horror story, if, if, if there's a connection. And that was one thing that I thought of. But just now, in your, your talking, Emerko, I was thinking of Poe's The Conqueror Worm. You guys know this poem? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mm-hmm. love this. Uh, I'm just getting into poetry and Poe, and I think this is... I think... Uh, uh, I'm going to send... I, I want to send uh, 
uh, I don't want to read it because I suck at reading, but I'm going to send this to Wayne. <laughs> um, I actually have already done it, so I'll send you a, a copy and you can link <gasps> to it if you want. Oh, thank you, sir. <laughs> no I'm going yeah, to put it in the podcast then. Definitely creepy and another one of those, um, you know, ultimately, what's it all about? The the worm's going to get you. That's it. You got nothing. You're dead. Yeah. You know? <laughs> another cosmic horror theme. I wonder what kind of comparisons you could make with A House on the Borderland, also with uh, the House of Usher hmm. pose. Mm-hmm. There, there, there seemed to be some... I never thought uh, of that. It was, it was ringing some bells there as I was reading the descriptions of it. So. Hmm. Yeah. I'm going to have to read in. I haven't read that for 25 years. I've got to read that next. We got anything else? Um, yes, one thing. Okay. <laughs> According to uh, uh, Edgar Allan Poe and the House of Usher, there could be an another meta level. Um, do you guys know Roger Calois? No. Mm-mm. Calois, I don't know if I butcher his name. It is spelled C-A-I-L-L-O-I-S. Calois, I would, I would spell it. He was a, uh intellectual from French, and he, he made a very famous sentence about the fantastic, and I'd like to quote it here because mm-hmm. there is uh, something... Uh, very interesting in it. The fan- I quoted, the fantastic reveals itself in a crack, an eruption of the irrational, irrational within the rational economy of the universe. So this this theory about the crack yeah, can be um, one of the ex- explanations why this happens to the, the to the narrator protagonist. Um, He's sitting in his chair, and then suddenly something happens that he and the reader also cannot explain. But from the other side, it happens on purpose, I guess. Now, what I wanted to say is that um, the reader slash narrator does not know why this happens to him, or seems to not know why this happens to him. But the the things, the the beings, the entities that, that force this crack that's happening exactly know what they are doing but mm. we cannot explain it yeah it, it it's explicable but not yeah. from our point of view not from our point of view and that this is what I, what I think makes you think a lot about the story you can read it just okay there is some weird trip going on there is a attacking of swine things and then there's another weird trip but if you dig deeper into the story and read, read it twice perhaps then you get you get into thinking, I guess. Yeah. Why is this? That quote's from a, a love of the fantastic. Is that yeah. what it's called? Yeah. The fant- so, here's yeah. another translation. The fantastic is always a break in the acknowledged order, an interruption of the inadmissible within the changeless everyday legality. Yes, right. Wow. I'm, I'm not sure legality is the right word to <clears throat> translation there, but yeah, I get the idea. And that actually sounds like it could have inspired this book, doesn't it? Yeah, right, right, right. Yep. And that's the cool thing about it. Very cool. All the good stuff is people reading old stuff and saying, hey, <laughs> yeah. I, I got some ideas there. Yeah, I think so, too. And I, I think you got, uh, at least I find this is true for myself. You've got to approach things like this, you know, that are classics that were written uh, uh, in another century many times. Um, You've you got to give them a little license. You've you got to allow them their mistakes i think i think c.s lewis said it about reading old literature and old classics there's stuff to be learned from them and yes they'll make mistakes but you know in in our own day and age we make mistakes too they just haven't been revealed by history to us yet so yes they'll make mistakes but they won't they won't make the same mistakes that Mm -hmm. that we do so do you know what i mean am i making myself clear on that i hear you Yeah. yeah If you allow them to be a little outdated, consider the source, and you know that goes not only for the content, but a lot of times for you know the style of it too. It can be very difficult reading uh, older stuff. They they had a, a passion for commas, like you know <laughs> <laughs> that 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 don't make any sense these days. So. But you know, you, finally, I, I they you, are immortal. Well, yeah, I just want I I don't want to let you get away with saying making it sound like this is a hard book to to read at least uh, with the audiobook. Oh, no. I uh, once I like I got I rewound a couple of times at the beginning. I I had to gear down for it. 
but it's it totally grips you. This is not yeah, a mind wandering book. Uh, well, wait a second. Yep. It is a mind wandering book, <laughs> but uh, on another level, it's it holds your attention while his mind wanders. Yep, I would definitely agree with that. Great, Marco. One. You were going to say something. Um, no, no. <laughs> okay, I just wanted to to add to Wayne um, that even if they um, old old writers made mistakes or have a uh, diff- difficult language, they are immortal. Yeah, because we're still reading them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and we have to be immortal. <laughs> it's the best way to be immortal because there ain't no other way. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, why don't we wrap it up there, guys? I really appreciate this. I think we had a good, good book, and it was a good read. Yeah, it was fun, and um, I, I think it's definitely one of those that's worth a reread or a re-listen or or whatever because I think there's. It's kind of a pregnant book, you know. There's there's more to it than than you can give birth to in your mind in one in one sitting. I think it's worth revisiting because uh, you know it, uh, I think it's one of those things you're going to be discovering new things in it every time you read it. I so. agree. Audio bookcase presents the Conqueror Worm. By Edgar Allan Poe. Read by Wayne June. Lo, tis a gala night within the lonesome latter years. An angel throng, bewinged, bedight in veils and drowned in tears, sit in a theater to see a play of hopes and fears while the orchestra breathes fitfully the music of the spheres. Mimes, in the form of God on high, mutter and mumble low, and hither and thither fly. Mere puppets they, who come and go at the bidding of vast, formless things that shift the scenery to and fro, flapping from out their condor wings, invisible woe. That motley drama... Oh, be sure it shall not be forgot. With its phantom chased forevermore by a crowd that sees it not, through a circle that ever returneth in to the selfsame spot, and much of madness and more of sin and horror, the soul of the plot. But see, amid the mimic rout, a crawling shape intrude, a blood-red thing that writhes from out the scenic solitude. It writhes, it writhes, with mortal pangs, the mimes become its food, and the angels sob at vermin fangs in human gore imbued. Out, out are the lights, out all, and over each quivering form the curtain, a funeral pall comes down with the rush of a storm. And the angels, all pallid and wan, uprising, unveiling, affirm that the play is the tragedy, man, and its hero, the Conqueror Worm. If you have enjoyed this audio bookcase presentation, visit us on the web at audiobookcase.com. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.